Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The idea of, of one minute fighting and the next minute looking for a post box, it, it just doesn't make sense. The, the only, if he had five minutes to spare, he would have wanted to have got his head down to catch some sleep or, or, or eat a bit of food. I didn't even know, or, and neither did my parents knew that he even went to that concentration camp. I think the fact that he's been there and he's ex- experienced that, and for me trying to understand, I guess, what they went through, I don't know, I can't, I can't really, to be honest, imagine what it would have been like. These are the words of real people written between 1940 and 1946. The views expressed may differ from the ideals of today and there are, on occasion, descriptions of war that some may find distressing. Evening, sweetheart. Here at work to finish off the Christmas holidays. I was also on duty Christmas Eve, so I haven't had a resty sort of Christmas. I managed to get to bed for about 1230 I was tired, so I slept very hard. But it was still very dark when I was awakened by an unfamiliar sound in my ears. I listened. Thought I was dreaming. Then I listened again. No, it was quite right. It was the sirens. I attached very little importance to it, thinking it was probably a mistake. But then there were planes in the sky. I could hear them. I laid for about ten minutes. I heard the neighbour, Mrs Smith, go out of the back door and down the garden path as though she might be looking to see if there was a light anywhere on at our house. It occurred to me that she might be wondering if I was at home or at work and as she is always so good, I put on a coat and went down to the kitchen, waited until I could hear no planes and then went round to Smith's, as they always get up during alerts. I was right. She had been wondering about me so I was glad I went round. The alert lasted until 6.30am when we all sighed a sigh of relief and went to our beds. It was not until next morning that Mr Smith told me that the planes we heard were doodlebugs. The Germans had been sending these at flying bombs since June. Everybody who was out had seen them. Even your mum and dad saw them through the bedroom window and I'd waited for a quiet spell in order to go round to Smith's. I felt very cheated about it, not having seen one. Well... So much for Hitler's Christmas box to the north of England. None dropped in the Sheffield area. Good night now, sweetheart. 
It's still all my love. Au revoir, Olga. 22nd of December 1944. Friday evening. Not heard the news yet, but it should be better. We've had a clear sunny day and tonight it's moonlight. If it's been clear over the battle area, they'll have been carrying out Eisenhower's order of the day. Destroy our enemy. Our typhoon attacks are about the most devastating things I've yet seen. It's a bit early yet to see how things will go, but if only we can pulverise the enemy now they've come out, well, it'll be worth three months of attack on their defences having already failed in their initial objectives. According to the timetable, they should be in the Antwerp-Dunkirk area by now. Don't know why, but they must still think it's 1940 when we only had a handful of tanks in opposition and hardly any RAF. I heard the BBC announce that they're going to draft another quarter of a million in the army. I suppose they'll need them and more for the occupation. It's just gone nine. The news isn't too bad, so I think I can go over to the service club for supper without taking my gun. We started our first cold spell a few days ago. Sunny days, moonlit nights, no window clouds, just a still coldness that takes your breath when you go outside in the morning. It's much more pleasant than the raw wet weather of the last few months or more. As usual, when I reach the subject of weather, it means I've exhausted all other topics. All that is except the one inexhaustible subject, you and I and me and you. That'd make a poem. You and I and me and you. How we are and what we do. Of whom we think to whom we talk. Of what we dream with whom we walk. Where we went last week, last night. Of things that come within our sight. What we hope to do tomorrow. Greetings, yearnings, joy and sorrow. Relations, news and neighbours chatters. Gardening notes, financial matters. These, the content of our days, tell of parting, broken ways. Writing, writing, words and phrases, when what we crave are love's embraces. But only when all fascists cease, shall we together live in peace. Christmas Eve, 1944. I'm on guard tomorrow night. I'm so homesick I could yell my poor head off, but it wouldn't do any good. During the last hour I've pictured you in every room in the house. Where you stood, where you sat. In fact, I've worked up the most maudlin, sentimental, self-pitiful mood I've had for ages. Here comes the nine o'clock news. Wait a bit whilst I hear what's been doing today. The German drive has at last been held. Heaviest ever air attacks. Yes, we saw a lot of these modern Santa Clauses today. They all looked heavily laden with 800 lovely big presents for Hitler. Hope he appreciates our kind thoughts in assisting him with his war of annihilation. There's one funny bit on the news which they've been emphasising all day. The fact that last night, for the first time in months, Northern England was subject to air attack. Security is OK, but every one of us wonders just where the darn things did drop. Cyril. New Year's Eve. We haven't written to arrange our date for tonight, so I don't know if you'll be there. Somehow, I think you will. Good night, sweetheart. Good night. Letter 30, Monday 1st of January, 1945. A very happy New Year, sweetheart. Thanks, darling, for the poem. 
You know, ducks, you're good. I've read heaps worse stuff that has been published. Maybe one day you might even write a book of poems and prose. Oh, my love, Olga. Letter 34, Tuesday 23rd of January, 1945. Good evening, darling. Just please excuse my scribble, but I'm writing in the only position to keep warm. Right on top of the fire. It's bitterly cold and has been for several days. It snowed about five days ago and hasn't budged an inch yet. Not even from the housetops in spite of fires. This beastly cold weather is still continuing. I should think half the people of Sheffield are frozen up. With care and good luck, we're still OK. The bath waste was frozen one day due to my leaving the plug off and it took me about one and a half hours to get it going. But there's nothing more to complain of. Nothing except that I've got a rotten cold in common with your mum and dad and most other people. The midnight news will be on in a minute and I've got the Oxford Atlas ready on the table to try and follow some of the Red Army's advance. Yes, to trace the advance on this map certainly makes a pretty picture for the Allies but a very grim one for the Germans. The Red Army's advance is terrific. I cannot understand why. When we move a decent distance, as for instance we did across France, we always have to stand to await the completion of new lines of communication and yet there are the Russians moving over hundreds of miles and no sign yet of a halt. No one can say that the weather is better on that front than on ours, yet they seem to have the power to overcome all obstacles. Good night, sweetheart. I hope to have more to say in your next letter. Sweet dreams, with all my love and kisses, Olga. Twenty third of January. Hello again, darling. The weekend came and went, and so did I. However, I'll tell you about the move. I was told to pack my kit as I was going away on a job for ten days or so. I'm sat writing this letter now in the billet. The family, mother, father, and son of twenty two years, don't speak any English, so my French is getting worked to distraction. They've just made me a cup of tea given me a box of writing paper and envelopes, tried to give me a brush for my boots and heaven knows what besides. When I got to the place last night, we'd been in the trucks for some hours. We were frozen stiff and very hungry. I just dumped my bedding, etc. in the entrance hall and told Madam I'd be back in a few minutes when I got the other chaps settled in their billets. When I came back, there was hot water, clean towels, etc. all ready. When I tried to use my own, it was taken from me and put in the laundry basket... I washed and shaved and returned to the room to find a meal ready. Two fried eggs, bread, jam, and they just insisted I should eat. It was the same this morning. They wouldn't let me out to work until I'd had breakfast. Tonight I brought them back one or two tins of things and I've spent the remainder of the evening refusing things. They asked if I'd any photos of you and when they saw them in an envelope, out came a nice little album and a packet of mounts and we then spent an hour sticking the photos in place. I've just been interrupted again. They noticed I keep my soap in a flannel. I've just been given a soap box and told it's much better to keep it in that. What with one thing and another, it's now 10.30 and I have to be up early in the morning. Good night, precious. When I get in my big fine bed tonight, it will remind me more than ever of home. All my love, Cyril. Letter 35, Sunday 28th of January, 1945. Good evening, sweetheart. 
I've just nicely arrived at work. I was late. It was ten past seven when I arrived. I'm not usually late, but it was really the fault of the frost, for it just plays haywire with electric clocks. And ours has been fast and slow alternately for the last week, so for catching buses, etc., I go by the radio. Today the clock was five minutes fast by the radio, so I allowed for that when I went for the bus. But the bus didn't. I just heard the bus going down as I was going down the road, and I weighed whether to go back into the house or carry on, for the next bus was twenty minutes. I walked on slowly, and I was glad I did. It was just an ordinary kind of evening, but I was reminded that I'm always running too much to appreciate it. I wondered what you would have given to be there as I walked along the bottom road towards the hall. The bells of St John's, a little lower down, were ringing. They are, I think, perfect Sunday evening church bells. As I reached the hall, I could see the soft lights of the church behind their stained glass windows that is still quite a novelty, even after a few months of dim out. I looked back up the road, and you remember those lovely horse chestnut trees on the left? Of course, they're quite bare now, but what a picture they still made. Their branches and limbs forming a black filigree against the grey evening sky. Everything except the trees was still white with snow. Even the ledges still carried it after more than a week, and they looked weary of the effort. Some lighted, curtained windows shone from the hillside opposite. Two ramblers walked briskly down on the other side, saying nothing, and I thought, what a lovely evening. You know how sound travels on these cold evenings? I could hear a train puff-puffing quite distinctly. Thanks to the lengthening days, I could still see the outlines of skating enthusiasts having a last fling on the dam opposite the woods, and also on the boating lake. The bus ran quickly past, but I thought of skating scenes I'd seen in papers of Belgium and Holland, and I also wished you were home to enjoy this with me. I can hardly believe the goodness of these people as I go on reading your letter. But all the boys say the same. I hope these families do realise how much we appreciate it. I just broke off there to listen to the midnight news. 65 miles from Berlin. To us, that city has seen miles past beyond, but the Russians are showing what they mean by victory in 1945. There's no more to say except that I love you. Just as much as always. Kisses. Letter 34, 23rd of March, 1945. Good evening, sweetheart. It's the old, old army custom. After three months of lazy time passing, we've now started a period of hectic rush. We've seen a lot of the RAF. In previous offences, they used to be like the news. Every hour on the hour sort of thing. But this time, it's a case of every minute on the minute. Yesterday, we stood all morning watching the airborne and glider trains going over. Just one continuous stream of aircraft for hours. And above went the massed flights of bombers, and above those the countless vapour trails of the fighters. Day and night there is always the noise of aero engines. Last Thursday morning we saw a Nazi plane, one lonesome doodle bug. I don't know whether being homesick is like being lovesick. I know the whole business gets me thoroughly browned off. Every time I go to one of these stinking holes known as lavatories, the continental type... I think of our nice, clean bathroom at home. Do you wonder I sit there so long when I get the chance? Every time I make do with primitive washing and shaving conveniences, I think of home. 
Every time I have a shower, I think of home. At every meal, I dream of a well-laid table in a lovely living room. You see how I've been spoilt with home comforts. I think that's all for this time, except to just whisper in your ear those old familiar words, I love you, Cyril. Official Field Service Postcard, dated 31st March 1945. Front. The address only to be written on this side. If anything else is added, the postcard will be destroyed. Back. Do not write anything on this side of the card except the date and your signature. If you write anything more than that, the card will be destroyed. Option selected. I am quite well. Signed, Cyril Moreforth. Letter 48, Friday 6th of April 1945. Good evening, sweetheart. As I said at the end of my last letter, I received your field card of 31st of the 3rd, 45 on Wednesday. I was glad to have it, if only to know you were well, though it came as rather a shock being my first thought. Of course, many have been receiving these for months. I suppose this means that you have moved fairly well on and are in battle, probably into the fatherland itself. It is one thing to think of you among the friendly people of Holland or Belgium, and quite another to imagine you in Germany. However, ducks, you'll take care of yourself, if only because I ask you to. Naturally, I shall be looking anxiously for your letters, though I don't suppose you'll get any time for writing. It's almost a year now since your brief visit to England. I can't exactly say time flies, for it seems ages and ages since, and the war has certainly travelled since then. This final pincer movement on Germany seems to be the thing at last, though goodness knows how long the thing will go on. What I'm wondering is, will V-Day have anything to do with the commencement of demobilisation and consequently of your coming home for good? There's a lot of talk about V-Day, but they don't mention the other business, which is uppermost in the minds of all of us who have men over there. There's no more news, ducks, except that everything is OK with all at home and, of course, that I still think I'm the luckiest girl in the world because I've got the best boy in the world and, what's more, he loves me. Oh, my love, darling. Olga. Good night, sweetheart. Kisses. Letter 35, 1st of April, 1945. Good morning, precious. Another month. I wonder what this one will bring forth. The last one saw quite a few changes, and this will see even more. One big change has been the weather. It was very good for the preparations and actual crossing of the Rhine. Beautiful midsummer weather, which helped to shorten the war by months. But alas, it just couldn't last, and now with cold winds bringing showers of rain. We're just hoping the rain doesn't come too hard, because the ground is soft now, and a good downpour will bog the tanks down. Hope you didn't worry about things when you received the field service card a few days ago, but I wasn't able to settle down to a letter and those were issued to us just for the purpose of getting something home. I've several more to send as and when I can't write letters. The news is good and getting better, but don't be too optimistic about a sudden ending. The war is not over yet and the Germans are still fighting desperately. The chaps coming back from leave tell us that at home the folks think it's all over bar the victory celebrations... Well, I only wish those folks were over here. There may be white flags on all the houses when we've passed a place, but until then it's a case of look out or else. 
There was one town about the size of York. They decided to defend it to the last German. They did. It took the RAF just 12 minutes. When we went through, you couldn't find the barricades that had in every street. You couldn't find the street. All you could see was where the town had ended because that's where the rubble gave way to the fields. Tuesday the 3rd of April, 1945. Another day of movement. Last night we had a change. Instead of our usual harbour in a field or wood, we pulled in at a farm, had a good night on straw in the barn, fried eggs to help the bacon at breakfast and now we're awaiting orders. This is our first real contact with the German civilians. Uppermost in all our minds is the question of fraternisation. I suppose, as usual, we shall solve the problem by some form of compromise. Soon after we pulled in last night, a civilian came up and asked if I spoke French. I said yes, and thereupon he told me all about himself. He was a Dutchman constricted for labour in Germany, escaped from the town during air raids, started working his way back home and three weeks ago took shelter at this farm. He and his pal, who was also a Dutchman, passports produced to show proof and all that. I asked him why he wasn't on the road with the rest of the foreign workers trudging back in their endless parties towards the rest. Oh, he said, the Germans at this farm were very good people. The old farmer was bad on his feet and had asked the pair of them to stay. We decided to have a kick around at football in the hour before dark. The ball is down with no pump, so I have to ask them for a pump, which they bring, and then they all look on, mother, father, half a dozen kids and the two Dutch chaps, whilst we kick a ball round in the field. The guard is mounted, they stand and watch. We have our supper, they still watch. Always they are looking at us as if they can't believe their own eyes. The same look of bewilderment on the face of many we pass each day as the endless stream of tanks and lorries go passing by. Foreign workers trudging back in their endless parties towards the west. Like every farm we've seen, this one is very well stocked with hens and geese, so our officer asks them if they have eggs enough for all of us. Oh yes, and out comes a large washing basket full. We take enough for one each all round. Would we like chicken for dinner tomorrow? So that's also arranged. Then the call comes, naffy rations up, come and get it. We come away from the truck with our chocolate and cigarettes. I don't know about the other chaps, but I know I'm very conscious of six pairs of children's eyes looking at me and my two bars of chocolate, and whatever nationality, children are still children. The little boy who ran so hard fetching our ball whenever it was kicked into the next field, or the two girls who so obviously wanted to play and make friends as similar kids had done in France and Belgium. Fraternisation, what a problem. We just ignore, looking different, answer their gaze with military sternness, frown at their smiles. It's so foreign to our nature to kick a fallen enemy and equally foreign to ignore a human being. I don't know how long it'll last, this non-fraternisation business, but I do know it's far more difficult than straightforward fighting. Well, ducks, I also don't know what you'll make of these rambling remarks and impressions of mine, but I'll soon find out. The mail service seems to be keeping up with the advance. On last night's news, it gave an account of the crossing of the Ems-Dortmund Canal and, much to my surprise, gave the names of the units concerned. The 3rd Royal Tank Regiment of the 11th Armoured Division. Well, I don't suppose it will matter if I tell you that they are one of our sister units in the division. You mentioned in one letter how you never knew where I was or what I was doing. Well, the newspapers will tell you. And where the 11th Armoured are, they are we. There goes the signal. Stand by to move. 
I'll finish this now and get it in the box or there'll be a further delay of goodness knows how long. Cheery bye, keep smiling. Love, kisses and all my thoughts, Cyril. Letter 49, Friday the 13th of April, 1945. Good evening, sweetheart. Today I was more than just relieved to receive your number 35. Your letters are taking quite a time as you are in this direction. The contents of the letter I found confusing. I have read and reread it all, trying to put myself in your place with regards to these Germans. I can understand how you feel. And generally speaking, we think that what we feel is right. But in the question of fraternisation with Germans, I somehow think that that is different. I noted a sentence which began, This is our first contact with German civilians. There, I think, lies the root of your feelings. After years of propaganda, reading, pictures of atrocities, etc., you feel confused when the first family you met were, to all intents and purposes, normal people. I have the advantage, or disadvantage, of not being disturbed by their friendly smiles and hearing the voices of German children. I can view the thing impartially, as an outsider. I must believe the pictures I have seen of piles of bodies waiting to be burned, bodies that show even relief in death, because many are nothing but skin and bone, and others undisturbed in death show all the marks of their unspeakable tortures. A man in a plane can drop a terrific bomb and probably not think of the result for more than a few seconds. A man can fire a gun in battle without stopping to think that he is only, after all, killing a fellow worker of another nationality. But this mass extermination of millions of people is nothing like that. What is more, all this has not been done by a handful of persons or by people who have done it half-heartedly and it is only perfectly natural that when German civilians are questioned they are going to say that they never knew what happened in these camps. Anyone would do the same for it... Is it not a fact that in human beings it is the ones who have the biggest shouts, the pigs and beasts amongst men, who, when faced by something bigger than themselves, prove to be the biggest cowards? You say they stand and stare with bewildered faces when they see allied armour pouring through their towns. Do you wonder? They have believed for years that they were superior in weapons and men. Then suddenly they see their own men retreating over their own soil or being taken prisoner by men and material superior to anything they have ever seen. They thought it was great to have Russian girls and women as slave labour and half-starve them. That was when they thought that their soldiers were superior to the Red Army smashed over their eastern borders. They stared, just as they are doing on the Western Front. When they had seen the power of the Red Army, they ran like hell because they were suddenly afraid of all the awful things they had done. They will lie to try and save their skins on that side, but I'm afraid they will have to be very sincere to be believed. The difference is simply that the Russians know the Germans. We don't. I'm not saying you're altogether wrong, Ducks, for after all, this problem will never be settled to suit everyone by any one country, never mind any individual. In your lifetime, you have lived through nearly ten years of war with the Germans. I have lived through six years. Isn't that a lesson? We rightly want a family. But do you want to see them grow up to have to do what you had to do with the best years of your life? The next few years will decide whether they do or don't. I am not pretending all Germans are bad, but how at the moment can you pick them out? 
The good must inevitably suffer with the bad, and if they have any sense, they will realise that. It's no use going yellow because some good Germans are going to suffer for their government's folly. I'm going to close now, darling, for I'm rather sleepy. I want to get this off tomorrow rather than wait another day. Keep smiling, sweetheart. You still have all my love and kisses. Olga. Letter 36, 6th of April, 1945. Good afternoon, sweetheart, if it could be called good, with this misty drizzle seeping a cold rawness into everything. We're on a riverbank waiting for the engineers to finish a bridge they're building. All is quiet and peaceful. Your parcel arrived this morning. The biscuits lasted until elevenses and then vanished with a brew of coffee. The papers have been digested more slowly, pausing for an anxious look. Yesterday the Luftwaffe had a birthday. At one time they had ten planes up at once. They kept coming over all afternoon and evening trying to hinder us. All they did was to cause a terrific barrage from every gun in the area. Two went away pouring black smoke but we didn't see them crash. It's an old trick to put out smoke so we don't know whether or not they were hit. Stand by to move. So, cheery bye. Be back later. Tuesday 10th, April 45. Yes, several days later, in fact. Today we're having a rest day, our first since crossing the Rhine. Yesterday we were very busy. We were leading squadron and reached a large village held by a company of SS. When it was obvious that there was strong opposition, the following units bypassed the place and left us behind to clear it up. We surrounded the place and sent in a loudspeaker van, but there was no reply to our offer of surrender. For the next 20 minutes, our artillery tanks and mortars gave them all we could. There was a pleasant village, red roofs among the trees. Then there was hell let loose and smoke and dust obscuring the sun. Three hours later, the smoke was clearing nicely and we saw there were still several houses not on fire. Traverse right. Machine gun. 500 yards. Right hand. House halfway down. The roof. Fire. And five minutes later, it was ablaze. A few civilians and two or three soldiers had staggered out. The latter were identified as the same company of SS who had captured 40 of our accompanying infantrymen and shot them four days ago. That did it. We gave them another pounding and then the infantry went in penetrating from one pile of smoke rubble to the next one. As they neared the end of the village, about 20 Nazis suddenly broke and ran for cover to the woods two fields lengths away. Well, we'd been waiting there over six hours for just such a move, and that was the end of them. The infantry followed and checked up. We lined up to move and noticed one or two heads bobbing. Tuesday evening, April 3rd, 1945. This morning I had to go up the rise for one or two things. It has been truly April weather this weekend. Sunshine and showers, breezy but fairly warm out of the wind. I wish my pen could make you a picture of all I saw in that 15 minutes this morning. I left home just after a sharp shower. On the bottom road, just as I turned the corner, the sun came out. The hedges and trees were still dripping and sparkling in the sun. A fortnight ago, the hawthorn hedges seemed bare. This morning, they were all solid with fresh young shoots. As I reached the railway bridge, a train came puffing up the line. There's something Peter Pan in me that always leaps when I hear a train. And checked up. We lined up to move and noticed one or two heads bobbing. About a mile away down in the valley where there was one of the German oil refineries. We trimmed our guns and waited. 
One or two civilians bobbed up, then more. Then one chap started to run towards us and several followed. Five minutes later, you couldn't see the tank for a mass of people, shouting, cheering, shaking hands, Greeks, French, Dutch, and every nationality in Europe, so it seemed. Looking at us, smiling, patting the tank, laughing, crying. Some too overcome to speak, others jabbering away excitedly. The first man who reached us was a ragged, tattered-looking individual. I looked over to the right-hand side of the bridge. A rainbow had broken out, and the end was somewhere on the middle of the stretch of Black and Moor, you can see from there. I thought of the story of gold where the rainbow ends, and I felt sure the gold was all there around me. It was in the clouds riding across the sky, in the fresh green that was everywhere in the song of the birds that was almost deafening. You know how they chirp after a shower. Then I crossed the little bridge over the stream. It was running as clear as crystal. I thought of springs and clear rivers I had seen when I'd been with you. I wished you could have been there, ducks, just for five minutes. It would have done your heart good. Jabbering away excitedly. The first man who reached us was a ragged, tattered-looking individual. I asked him who he was, French, Dutch, Polsky. He drew himself up, saluted, Ruski, Soviet. I jumped up, shook his hand, but he couldn't say any more for about five minutes. The excitement of liberation and the mile run had been too much for him. He just gasped and wheezed. Many of the other people had gone to the other vehicles, but this chap and a number of other Russians remained with us. One could speak French and a little English, so he was interpreter, and the others kept him very busy. First questions were of the war. How far were the Soviets from Berlin? What was the width of our advance across Germany, and so on? They'd had no real news for years. We also found what to do with our chocolate, swap and any other surplus things we didn't really need. We were all sorry when, after 20 minutes, we received the order to move. We moved on and they returned to pack their small belongings and start the long trek back to the Rhine and out of Germany. Thousands upon thousands are walking the roads westwards, though now many Poles and Russians are staying on and following us eastwards thinking that will be the quicker way home. We went steadily along and about six in the evening reached a village where I... As I saw this beauty, I hoped that never as long as I live would I see beauty like this and not pause to recognise it. It's funny how this sort of thing serves the dual purpose of making one feel small and insignificant and at the same time makes the heart so full that one feels like a king on top of it all. The last ten days' news from the Western Front have certainly made a difference to the outlook of the war. I know there is still a lot to be done, but they are getting on with the job now and it seems that when our troops do take the offensive, they don't stand much monkey business. That's all for just now, darling. Take care of yourself and good luck. All my love, Olga. We went steadily along and about six in the evening reached a village where advance had received no resistance. White flags and undamaged houses everywhere. We received our fuel and ammo supplies and prepared the tanks for further action, but no movement orders came. This morning we were told we'd a rest day, so we started to get organised. First a house. We gave the civvies until ten o'clock to get out and then in we went. After these last few days, it's grand to read your description of an April morning's walk up to the rise. Here also is spring and budding trees, but here the green means lurking death, the rain means mud and misery, and the sun in reflective glints gives away our position. The same spring, but how different. Cheery bye for now. Love and kiss as always, Cyril.
Letter 50, Wednesday, 18th of April, 1945. Good evening, my darling. I keep following your movements from the radio and progress seems to be slow, ducks. I hope you're not having things too sticky. Though a lot of people do think it's a birthday over there and are making preparations for V-Day, most people realise that every yard of ground is being fought for and are not really enthusiastic about the announcement at all. It is not as though it will be anything like the last war when the armistice meant ceasefire. After all, it is only certain papers and that class that are responsible for all this unnecessary stupid optimism. There are two lines in the middle of a song they're singing just now. They go, then the years between, might never have been, we'll be starting our life anew. And that's just how it seems. Cheerio now, Olga. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Letter 51, Monday 23rd of April 1945. Hello, my sweetheart. I've not done anything much to write about myself these last four days. The last three nights I've spent on duty and I've been in bed half of today, for last night there was a convoy of wounded in, so of course it meant working straight through. Beryl and I were down at the LMS from 4.30 until nearly 8 this morning, preparing stretchers, folding and checking blankets, etc. All the cases had been flown over and many were ex-prisoners of war. They looked terribly thin, poor devils. It's perhaps as well there were no Germans among them, for everyone here has been seething this last week after the news and pictures coming from overrun concentration camps in Germany. In today's worker, there's a photo of a group of women warders from the Belsen camp. Fat, well-fed swine with just beneath a photo of a London prisoner of war at this camp who looks little more than skin and bone. To many, this has been the first they knew of these camps. If they had heard of them before, they have dismissed the idea as pure propaganda. They did not know that this is how Nazism survived since its camps opened in 1932. The tragedy of these camps is that behind their gates, dead or dying, are the men and women who could have helped to build a decent Germany. Men and women who were too bold to hold their tongues in a country where free speech meant death. 
News of the Red Army's drive into Berlin is grand, and though when that city falls it will not mean what we once thought it would mean, nevertheless, it will be a great day in history. For years we have looked upon Berlin as the heart of the beast, and no matter how much of Germany there is still to conquer, the fall of Berlin would be a mortal wound. I guess the chemists have been doing a good trade in poisons, as many will follow the lead of such men as the Burgomaster of Leipzig. Do take care of yourself, you're so precious. I love you, darling. I can't say I love you more than I used to, so it must be going deeper. Good night, precious. Sweet dreams and good luck, Olga. Letter 52, Sunday 29th of April 1945. Good evening, sweetheart. I've been going to write this letter for several days, but I've been waiting for news from you. I felt sure that something would arrive at every post, but alas, nothing has. And I'm just about crazy with worry, wondering what is the matter. It is a fortnight since I received your last letter, and that was dated the 10th. I just cannot think what has happened. I'm just living in hopes for tomorrow morning. Well, darling, I do hope tomorrow brings some mail, for this anxiety is about the worst thing I've ever known. I'll close now, ducks, for I've some other letters to write, and I'll send you a long one when I've had a letter. Good night, my darling. You have all my love and kisses. Good luck, Olga. Letter 37, 22nd of April, 1945. Good morning, darling. I had quite a shock last night when I checked up on my diary and found that it was 12 days since my last letter. I thought it was only five or six days, but things have been moving so fast that it's only been possible to concentrate on the bare essentials of food and sleep. From first light to dusk, it's been action stations. However, on Friday night, we reached our present objective. All day yesterday, we worked on the tanks, giving them a much-needed clean and inspection. The lorries also arrived with our baggage. Showers have been arranged today. We've got our clean clothing and all our worries are over, at least for the time being. Our luck regarding the weather has been almost unbelievable. All the time from the Rhine crossing to yesterday, it's been a succession of clear, sunny days. Good visibility and good firm ground which enabled us to get off the roads and outflank every position which was manned by the enemy. One of our lads went on leave and his place was taken by a new chap, a lad of 18 who'd had less than six months in the army and only left England in March. Next day, he was killed when an 88 hit the tank. One of the survivors of the crew had been in the army since 1939 and had four years with the 8th in the MEF, yet all he got was a broken finger. Funny thing, this luck business. I don't think V-Day will make much difference to us. I think it may well be some while yet before operations end in Germany and in any case, they'll have to keep a strong army here for some time until all these SS fanatics are tamed. We found yesterday a large store of uniforms and arms and ammunition buried in a wood a couple of hundred yards from this farm. As for all this talk about V-Day, well, the comments from the lads are scorching. The war correspondents aren't altogether to blame. Within their limits, they do give a fairly accurate picture of what's happened, but many only read the headlines and then rush off to buy flags and decorations and order the beer. It's a pity some of those people couldn't be found a place in the leading tank. As I'm sat writing here in this room, on the wall are two pictures. Christ and the sheep and Christ and the disciples. Below and between them is a photo of a man. He's currently sitting in the kitchen, wearing a glove over what's left of his left hand. We found another photo in a drawer of this same man, 
so proud and arrogant in his SS uniform. When the civil affairs moves up here, he will have to go to answer charges regarding the arms and documents we found in the woods. For the moment, he sits sulking by the kitchen fire, knowing any of us would be only too willing to shoot on the slightest provocation. Yes, the road we travelled has led us into more places than that original peaceful farm. You may have read about the horrors of the Belson Typhus camp near Bremen. Well, we were the first troops into that place. Also, we've met and spoken with many of our own lads who've marched from Poland to the west and then were marching east again under their Nazi guards. They escaped at night and hid in the woods until we came. They'd no need to tell their stories, one look at their faces and their feet. We gave them what food and cigs we could spare and then hurried on again. We haven't taken any prisoners this last week or so. So many of the chaps don't fully realise the significance of these things. Cyril. Letter 53, Wednesday the 2nd of May, 1945. Hello, darling. It was a fortnight last Monday when I received the last letter from you. Plus the 12 days you had been unable to write, so you can imagine I'd been more than just plain worried. As you will probably know, today is the stand-down for civil defence. I spoke to Mr B tonight, and I am to come in on Friday unless I hear different in the meantime. But that will definitely be my last night. I shall probably be working days in the office until the final clear-up, which will be one or two months and then I'm finished. I shall have had just over four years on the job. Tonight has brought the glad news of unconditional surrender of North Italy, etc. The collapse of Berlin, 11th armoured in Lübeck, and only 30 miles from Soviet forces from Rostock. What a trap the Germans have left themselves into. Well, they're only getting their desserts. Yes, we have heard and read of Belson and the others and seen their tragic, that word sounds tame, pictures. We have seen the victims and it is my belief that whatever good Germans there were, they have passed through these camps and are dead or dying. The men and women responsible for this work are not fit to be called human beings. They can know and understand only one thing, death. I don't suppose you've had time to think of the things you were doing last year at this time, as I have. I can feel that lovely sea breeze blowing through my hair. I can see the seagulls swooping in for titbits. And I can see you smiling at me and teasing me in a way no other man could get away with. But then, ducks, there's only one you. That's perhaps as well, for if there were two like you, I should have a fraternisation problem all of my own. As it is, I have none of those problems. Good night now, darling, and lots of good luck. Always, Olga. The, the pace of the war just increased from a very slow start to an absolutely frantic uh, pace at the end where they barely had time to sleep. My name is Pete Moforth and I'm the third child of Cyril and Olga. This is one of the reasons why the attrition rate was so so high in, in some of these tank regiments. And if he had five minutes to spare, he would have wanted to have got his head down to catch some sleep or, or, or eat a bit of food. Um, so he would have thought the best way to send a message to Olga would have been to complete the war and so he could get back home. 
from what I understand uh, from that part of the war, Montgomery or the Allies had decided to give letters out which informed the German population that, you know, the Allies as the occupying force, they weren't going to be, you know, they'd be cordial to the Germans, but they weren't going to be nice. You know, they'd fought incredibly hard over multiple years to get to the point that they were at now. My name is Joss Moforth, and Cyril and Olga were my grandparents. You know, I understand that part of it, that it was communicated to the German people that, you know, if, if the Brits are being distant, it's because they've been ordered to. Uh, I imagine that there's probably a lot of allies that, you know, if they'd had free reign, they'd have had ideas of what they wanted to do to certain people that they felt might have been involved in some way in the atrocities that Nazi Germany committed. I'd like to think there was also an understanding that the vast majority of the German people were also victims of the Nazi regime and it was just a small number that had you know the oversight to direct the terrible things that happened from from what i read of dad's letters i definitely got the feeling that at the start of the war dad was very cautious he was a man who kept his head down he avoided any kind of heroics. But towards the end of the war, he became the opposite. Towards the end of the war, his total focus was on trying to finish, um, finish the war to get the job done, as he put it. I've re read and reread the line in his letter where he talks about being the first tank across the Elbe it's just a, it's just a throwaway line but but it speaks volumes about how the man had changed from the start of the war to the end of the war um, tanks were a very dangerous place to be you were just a big target on the battlefield and to have been the lead tank across one of the, the largest and most important waterways in Germany with you know Heaven knows how many guns were, were pointing at him and they just charged across this bridge as fast as they could with him being in the front. It was, it was incredibly reckless, something, something like that. Um, if Mum had known what was going on, she would have screamed at, at a moment like that. And yet he just says, I was the first tank across the Elbe, must have made history that day. Well, well he certainly did. Um, I didn't even know he'd been to Belsen. Didn't, no idea. My name is Sue Moforth, and Cyril and Olga were my parents. But that was the same, that generation of people, they never spoke about it really, did they? Not very much. But I can sort of understand now why he was so insular. The fact that it's someone I knew and someone who I was close to and someone I care about who went into a concentration camp and was one of the first people there, I think that's truly horrific to know that he was exposed to that and he's seen that. My name is Lara Moforth and Olga and Cyril were my grandparents.
I can't even imagine being exposed to 10% of what he, he had seen. I guess the full horrors of what the Nazis were doing with the Jews, you know, nowadays we have quite a broad understanding of what went on. However, at the time, although I'm sure there were rumours of what was going on in Nazi Germany, the sight of Bergen-Belsen concentration camp must have been overwhelming to my granddad. And I think, you know, throughout the letters, my granddad always seemed to know that it was justified what they were doing out there. But that visit, I can only imagine the feelings that he must have had. Um, you know, personally, I can imagine anger was one of them. But it would also just further justify why they were sent to, there to do what they had to do. Um, and personally, I'm very proud that my granddad did his part during that time. Um, you know, no matter how small it was, the only way that stuff like that doesn't happen again is from individuals doing their little bit and when everyone works together towards that common goal then it hopefully makes the world a better place. Join us next week for episode 8 of History's Letters of Love in World War II. Subscribe to Letters of Love in World War II and please don't forget to rate and review us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. For more information, head to history.co.uk or follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at History UK. Letters of Love in World War II was written and produced by Anna Priestland, edited by Joel Porter and produced and directed by Sam Pearson. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.